0: You are listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Lempster. To find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. So, isn't it great just to hear people's stories? Yeah. Yeah? Um, If you ever feel that kind of, I don't have a story, mine's not as impressive as X, don't forget that Jesus has written your story. God has authored your story. So it's not small. It's not comparable to anyone else's. It is your story. Um, I once had a friend, absolutely. I once had a friend, a couple of friends, who were, when we grew up in youth group, um, it was a kind of time when, I think it was The Cross and the Switchblade, that book, had come out, and it was kind of like um, the story of this kind of drug um, gang leader. is that the one, who kind of came to Christ. And a phenomenal story of how someone, like in, in like the... In, like the, um, in the grasp of such a poor, bad lifestyle, is completely transformed by the love of Jesus. But then it almost had the opposite effect, where people thought, if I don't have this insane transformational story, then how do I really know that Jesus is in my life? And they literally said, we're going to have a gap year from God to try and get that story. And the gap year has now been 10 years because they did not value the work of Jesus in their lives. and just to encourage you that the work of Jesus in your life is never a small thing. You might not have had a horrendous past, but all of us have had a past that didn't have Jesus in. All of us have had a past that wasn't guided and led by God at the time. We would be running the opposite way from goodness and blessing And there was a day, there was a moment, there was a time when your destiny, your eternity changed. The moment you accepted Jesus into your life is the moment that the rest of your life, both in this world and beyond, changed. If you haven't made that choice today, I encourage you, I urge you, today is the day. Make that choice and you will never regret it. It might be hard. It's not easy. And many of us in the room who have been on this journey for years, decades, can testify to the fact that it is not easy, but it is so worth it. It is so worth it. So, good news. If you guys have got your Bibles on you, or your you versions, um, various apps are going to be um, cracking out. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Two Corinthians chapter five, verses sixteen until actually verse two in chapter six, about ten verses or so. And just as you can, you're finding that um, to, I've kind of titled today's message. Your most important day. Your most important day. Um, As I was kind of preparing for this preach, I looked up online um, what's the most important date in the whole of world history? So, most important date in world history. And crowd participation. What could be or what might be some of the most important dates in world history? Discover a fire, or the, wheel. or the wheel. Yeah, those came up. They were there. Remembrance Day. Remembrance Day, November 11th. That's good. That came up. We're not that introverted, are we, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Discovery of... Ah, yeah, yeah. I didn't see, didn't see that one, but that was definitely, uh, that was a big revolution there, wasn't there? Invention of the internet, world, War. world wars. Yeah. <laughs> you were squinting like are they, I think, yeah, they, they were a thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Newcastle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Both Newcastle and Hereford both um, put that on. It came out again recently, didn't it? The guy who scored that goal. Yeah. Yeah. So um, okay, outside of Herefordshire, working <laughs> 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 world history, Paul. Birth of Christ? Yep. The big fire in France? In France? Yeah. Yes. Ah, yeah. Well, no, I haven't the got them. Creation of the world. The beginning. the beginning of. That's pretty that's pretty important. That's pretty important. Big bang. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tuesday, about seven o'clock in the <laughs> Um, So, um, lost contenders for most important day in the history of the world, the one that was kind of most voted for, or the ones that kind of came up time and time again, were all to do with war. The most important dates in world history were mainly to do with war. Beyond scientific, economic, environmental, religious things, War seemed to be the one that most people put as their most important day in history. Um, But the date that seemed to come up the most, for those of you who know your history, you might see where this is going, was June the 6th, 1944. So the year might surprise you, June the 6th, 1944. But the most important dates in world history are mainly to do with war. And I found this was really interesting because... It wasn't the start of the war necessarily, but it was the finishing, the end of the wars. And what, was, what I liked about that is that as people, we found the idea of anything that threatens our stability or peace, anything that comes to suffocate comfort, isn't good. And that seems to be what was kind of being measured by these most important dates. Um, and these world wars, um, World War I and World War II, of course, involved not just kind of a couple of countries, but the entire political landscape across the globe. Um, you know, with the Ukraine-Russia war at the moment, it's not just kind of, you know, those two countries. It's You feel, you feel that we're feeling the, the pinch in our purses. Uh, you've got African countries who are feeling the pinch in getting wheat. Uh, the whole way the world is connected, even just a war between two countries now just involves pretty much the entire world. But, you know, back when these world wars were happening, every country felt it. So it's also been interesting that today most of the words that we've had have been to do with war, with fighting, with getting yourselves prepared, with going behind enemy lines. And as we look into our into the uh, words today, hoping that God will just um, light and ignite something in you about your battle, about your fight. Just like the dates, um, most important dates in history have to do with the end of wars, I pray that today you start to see, that you can see the end of the wars in your heart, the end of the fights in your life that come against your peace, that come against your comfort, that come against your relationship with Jesus. So let's have a look at 2 Corinthians 5. So verse 16 says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Although we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, So as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Holy Spirit, let these words sink into our hearts. Let there not be any, um, any barriers based upon our emotions or our experience. But we ask right now, God, that our hearts are open to receive the truth that you have for us. Let it take root in our hearts, that it might bear fruit in our lives that glorifies your name. Amen. Okay. Um, going to be super quick through this. I'm going to give you guys four headings. And each of those four headings is going to be started with the word gospel-shaped. Now, for this message, I'm going to use the word gospel, which you've all heard in kind of Christianese terms can mean lots of different things to different people. But today, I'm going to start off with gospel means this. God blesses before he benefits. God blesses before he benefits. So gospel-shaped, God blesses before he benefits. So the first heading I'm going to give you is gospel-shaped identity. Who is? we are. Verse 16 says, From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Um, The past hundred years or so, a bit less, 80 years, have seen a huge change in not only society, but individuals, how we identify ourselves. Um, There was a time For some of you within living memory, where most of your contacts were in your community, your local, your street, your village, the town that you lived in, you didn't know many people outside of that unless they were family who'd moved on, or they were at your place of work. Everyone who you knew, knew you not just in a moment, but they would know you across a number of years and situations. That was maybe the case beginning of the 20th century, even coming into the um, kind of mid, mid part of that. Then there was a time when we moved away from kind of the village, moved away from people know me, people see my personality and character over time, to a very much a business model, where you'd go to a place of work that would involve a commute, that would involve a big journey, and you'd start getting friends or acquaintances that didn't know you outside of different spheres or situations, work friends, work colleagues, Um, and you would almost end up with kind of two separate lives. Uh, This was like a a documented change in society, Uh, really came over after the Second World War as kind of things and the economy started building up again, so business was booming. So for that to happen people started to learn how to make the most of those opportunities. No longer were you judged upon your character and your personality um, across a large number of years because people see you in and out of different situations. You were judged primarily on your ability to hold a conversation and to demonstrate charisma in one-off social interactions. This was the age of the, uh, the power tie, where you would dress to impress, where as long as you could hold a decent conversation with someone else, you could show a side of your personality or character in an instant that maybe wasn't there over a decade. This is where the growth of self-help came about, where the idea that you could improve yourself to impress someone else in a momentary meeting or in a different situation where you could put on a face, where you could put on a mask differently to how you might be in other situations. So we've gone from an age where community was the centre of our identity, who I was in different situations, now to a sense of charisma, where can I impress people around me? Can I make it work? That's been the cause of a lot of social anxiety, Um, Many people nowadays, especially after COVID, and this is what's really interesting, find going into new situations or crowded rooms a point of anxiety, of anxiousness, because they do not like having to perform or, or have those social interactions that could be awkward and difficult. But then... After that big business boom, of course, then, as Margaret's already mentioned, came the age of the Internet. And with the age of the Internet, uh, as early as the late 80s, people were saying, this has the ability for people to change their identity. No longer do you have to just interact face-to-face, but you're interacting in a virtual world with details and information that you choose to put out there. Late 90s, early 2000s came social media. Social media, because it had the intent of doing one thing, helping you socialize online. But of course, with that came a choice how do I present myself to the virtual world? Who here does have a social media profile? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter? Yep. Yeah. Okay. You would have felt this the moment you sign up and it asks you for the dreaded question. Choose your profile pic. Which one do you go for? Which is going to be your profile pic? This is a picture that not only just do people see of you, but you get to choose what people see of you. Yeah? It's not simply, you know, a passport photo. Facebook doesn't have like a whole load of rules and regs. You know, don't wear glasses, make sure your hair's not too long, you know, all this kind of stuff. Don't wear too much makeup. You get to choose. You get to choose the you that you show. So suddenly, we start worrying about our appearance. We start worrying about the background. We start worrying about who we're in the photo with. We start worrying about where the photo was. Am I going to show the photo from holiday because that was when I was in the Canary Islands and it shows that I've got money to go to these holidays? Or do I show me reading a book because I'm a cultured kind of person? Do I show me drinking a coffee because I like caffeine and I can't cope without it? Do I show me and my wife? If I don't show me and my wife, will she be offended? If I do show my wife, will people think that I'm just being really lovey-dovey? My wife didn't put me in her profile picture. I cannot believe she would No. <laughs> And suddenly, this one choice suddenly becomes this huge issue of identity. But what's happening now is that children, kids, are growing up with this idea that you can curate your identity. What used to be in a communal family space, where people would see you day in, day out, year in, year out, they would see you as you'd go through relationships, breakups, jobs, Uh, responsibilities, grow up into family, become husband, dad, and so on. What then became a moment when you still had to show a certain character in real life has now become a space where you get to choose completely what it is that other people see of you in the virtual space. Now, many of you in the room might not think that this is a big deal. Um, As, this is going to be an interesting one, as a purely anecdotal bit of statistics, every single couple that I have met within the past three years have met online. Every single couple that I have met have met online in the past three years. I'm not saying it's good or bad. Not, not, that's not the judgment. But in terms of how society, community, and identity are changing, this idea of curating what other people see of me is becoming a major part, if not the key part of our interaction with other people. Uh, My brother is an online gamer, and he coming up to his his wedding, he was panicking about who to have as his best man, because he didn't have many friends. His closest friends were online. He knew their tag names, he knew their usernames, so when it came to, you know, Dan, what, he's going to be a best friend, he was like, yeah, there's this guy from Estonia, but I'm not too sure he's going to be able to make it. Have you met him? No, no, not at all. <laughs> and these are friends. These are people who they talk to regularly, often. Um, they probably talk more often than me and my wife do. <laughs> we live in the same house. Um, but you have here a change in the way we identify ourselves. Um, This question used to be purely a thing of the rich elite. Um, Royal paintings, paintings of royalty, were often doctored, photoshopped, before being spread around different countries, different uh, cities, before marriage for political allegiances and alliances were formed. So you'd have a a lady, a, a a princess, a king's daughter, who would be painted, Maybe kind of smooth out on the wrinkles. Maybe the double chin put back a bit on the painting, and th- this picture would then go around, you know, Europe, um, into, um, into um, nearby Asia, to see which countries, you know, can she find a suitor. And then, of course, the suitor might quite well, fancy that picture, quite well, like, you know, it looks great. But then, of course, the moment comes when the day of the the marriage, the day of the wedding, you suddenly realise. You can't run away from that picture because the real person turns up. And often, I think, I think the word is like um, classical catfish, where the picture has nothing to do with the person. Um, and it wasn't until there was a big rebellion societally, socially, um, that I think it was Oliver Cromwell had the fa- his famous painting done, where he said paint me warts and all. And there was this big thing there and it, so it's not like, I'm not saying this is a, a modern thing. This is a, this is a humanity thing. That it's what was kind of up for the upper echelons has now become, for the common person, this idea of who do I want to be? What do I want other people to see of me? Children with phones, when they want to post one picture up online, aren't taking one picture. They're taking a 100 before they post one picture. They will take 100 selfies before they find one picture, that they accept and are happy with. You might be thinking, I don't care. I don't care about that. I don't care what other people think about me. Um, you know, they can take it or leave it, I'm my own person. In that case, you might fall into another camp. And that camp is the camp of comparison. You might not have a profile pick. You might not even really do anything on Facebook or Instagram apart from scroll. And scroll, and stalk, and link after link. Screenshot, send it to my friend. Have you seen what Helen's been doing recently? Oh, how does she pay for that? <laughs> I haven't seen Ted at church for a while. Did you see what he did on Saturday? These questions of what other people are doing become a question of not only what are they doing, but who am I in comparison to them? You might not have a question of who you portray yourself as, but you might have a question about how do you compare to other people. Your life becomes a question of mini-test after mini-test. Am I better than this person in this particular area of life? You might... I'm not, I, I, I'm not really in that camp. And I... When I hear people talk about this, I'm like, kind of, no one really compares themselves that much. Until I had a few friends very recently, I say recently in the past two years, that have had to leave social media because of the um, the change in mental health that it gave them, the downturn that they had. And these, you know, you speak to them on the outside, and they're very happy people. They're doing great. You know, families, their parents, they got kids, they got a great life. But they could not stop the scroll they could not stop checking out what everyone else was doing just to validate and vindicate their own choices in life. And even if, even if you don't do it online, you might very easily do it in the real world. But the thing is that there are so many spheres of life that other people are going to be better than you at. And even the word better than says a lot about how we describe ourselves and where we find our identity. Where people go on holiday, what books people are reading, what they're eating, what they're drinking, who they're with, what they're dressed like. It shows such a lack of self-worth but we feed it to ourselves time and time again. And this is why 2 Corinthians says, regard no one from a worldly point of view. No one. Don't look at anyone through the lens of the world. Don't look at anyone in terms of what they're portraying, what they're demonstrating, what they're displaying. It could be false, a lie, made up. You might get the odd person that has full integrity. But don't compare yourself. Don't judge what they do or do not have. Do not regard anyone from a worldly point of view. Because, and this is where it's gospel-shaped, your identity And their identity is not based on anything that they put forward on social media, not on any clothes or status that they might wear. Their identity isn't based on their utility in the workplace. It's not based upon their family name. It's not based upon their financial status. It's not based upon the car they drive. You are not based upon the holidays you have, the number of kids you do or do not have. um, The big thing at the moment around the world is how you get status, is which minority group you are a part of. Who has the most reason to scream and shout about not having rights and privileges? Regard no one from those things because everyone comes under one identity. For all creation was, for all humanity was made in the image of God. Everyone. We don't look at people in terms of what they have that's perishable, what they have that's changeable, what they have that might change between this week and the next, this year and the next. We look at people according to what God has made each person to be. You are a carrier of the image of God. Not just because you're in church. You are a carrier of the image of God because you are a person. Christianity is the only religion that has equality. Islam is based upon how far you can push your own asceticism or your own works to gain favor with God. Even Judaism, based upon your family line and your heritage. Buddhism, how much you can push away the things of the world. How little you need to rely upon. Hinduism, Sikhism, the caste system. Even secularism has its own way of measuring how much you are worth. Christianity, Jesus, says that everyone is made in the image of God. There is sanctity of life. Which means that when you come into contact with other people outside of church and outside of this family of faith, they still have the same status made in the image of God. Which means everyone has the same potential for greatness in God's kingdom. Everyone. There is not one person that you meet that is undeserving of the gospel of God's kingdom. There is not one person you meet in your family, on the street, in your workplace, that does not deserve to hear the good news of what Jesus has done for them. Everyone deserves to hear how much God loves them, how much God is looking for them, how much God is pursuing them, how much God is blessing them. And this is why it's gospel-shaped identity, because our identity doesn't come first from what we do or who we are, it comes from God. God blesses us with an identity before he benefits with our response back. The next part is gospel-shaped grace. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Only in God is it possible to get a new identity. Only in God is it possible to get an update of how we act, how we interact, how we work, who we are. Over time, many of you might have issues with certain aspects of your life. There might be habits that you keep falling back into. There might be um, desires that you have that you know aren't right. There might be thoughts and attitudes that you have that are not positive and helpful. But God says those who are in Christ, those who accept him, those who look to Jesus as their salvation, you are a new creation. And what's great about this It doesn't come after a process. It doesn't come because you have done something. It doesn't come because you have read your Bible all the way through. It doesn't come because you've managed to keep up with your Bible in a year plan. It doesn't come because you've made it to church two weeks in a row. It comes because you look to Christ for your salvation. Not because you look to yourself, not because you look to other things, not because you look um, around what's the quickest fix, because you look to Jesus for your safety. You look to Jesus for your peace, for your comfort. He is your go-to in any situation. Those who are in Christ, you are a new creation. So if you're sat there right now thinking, I just feel old. I feel tired. I feel weary. How have I managed to make it this far and not seen change in my life. The gospel says you are a new creation. You have access to all that Christ has sacrificed for. There's a promise, there's a plan, there's a purpose over your life that Christ gives you access to, that all of you, all of us, can call upon today. And that happens, what I love. Every time, this is where it's, where it's gospel, gospel shaped. Every time you see God give a blessing, He always blesses first before He requires anything back. The whole way through Scripture, we see God blessing before He expects anything back from us. So the moment you accept Jesus is the moment that you have had your soul, your spirit, your DNA, your makeup completely changed. You have a new destiny, you have a new eternal life, not here on earth, but with Jesus, in heaven, with God. Amen? Amen. Next bit, gospel-shaped hope. The word reconciliation, which is used here a few times, basically means Making all things equal. Or another way to put it is making something favorable. God says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This message that you have been made new, that you are now found in Christ, that you have a hope and a destiny and a plan and a purpose different to anything else that the world offers, now becomes the same message that we get to give to others. The very moment you accept Christ, you also accept his call. You also accept his command over your life that we get to go and be ambassadors of Christ. We get to go and see other people have that same change in their lives as we've had in ours. So back to this idea about identity. Everyone you meet deserves to hear the good news of reconciliation with God. Everyone you meet deserves to hear that they are made favourable with God, in Christ. And this is why our our banners at the front say it really clearly. Jesus changes everything. The whole world is being made favourable, equal to, with God. And that's part of our ministry, part of our mission, part of your mission, part of your role now that you've seen Christ work in your life. There is no aspect of this world that does not need redeeming and reconciling to God. In your life, not only is it just you as an individual, but we've spoken about identity, your work, how you conduct yourself at work. Needs reconciling with God. Your family, how you deal with the other people and the other interactions in your family, need reconciling with God. If you're a parent, how you how you parent, how you grow, how you discipline your kids, needs reconciling with God. If you aren't married yet, the whole way you go about seeking out um, a helper, a spouse, needs reconciling with God. Your finance, how you deal with money, needs reconciling with God. Your spare time needs reconciling with God. There is no aspect of your life, firstly, that doesn't need to be reconciled with God. But then beyond that... Just like the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were called to be stewards of the Garden. You, we, are called to be stewards of the world. So beyond our own lives, we've also got the world. We've got society, culture, government, politics, art, education. All of these areas need reconciling back to God. Even earlier on, um, a lady Popped up looking for the um, Greek Orthodox Church. And we were talking about how, especially in the UK, the government, trying to be um, benevolent, trying to be helpful and nice, has taken a lot of authority and responsibility away from the church. One issue that is very close to um, Paulus and my heart is this idea of fostering an adoption. This is an area that the church has lost a lot of ground in taking care for. Orphanages, which don't really exist anymore in the UK, but orphanages were run mainly run by churches and Christians. The government has now taken hold of that, which is great as a system in place. However, the church has now said it's the government's job. We, as Christians, who should be the ministers of reconciliation between the world and God, have given up our rights to government. I'm not saying the government shouldn't do it. What I'm saying is, we as Christians, you, made in the image of God, who have given your lives over to Jesus, we need to take authority back and responsibility back for seeing the world come to know God again, for seeing the world made equal and made favourable to its creator. There is a part of your life, there is a passion and a desire in your life that has been God-given, where you can make a difference, you can make an impact, and you will have influence for the kingdom. No one might ever know your name on this earth, but God will. He will see how you've used your influence, your um, being led by him, your desires, your worship time, your prayer time, to see obstacles moved out of the way so that you can see the parts of your life and the parts of the world around you come back to be used for the glory of God. Another day, I'd like to talk about leadership in that aspect. Because by taking responsibility and authority, and I believe this very truly, that every single one of you, the moment we accept Christ into our lives, we have the authority to take leadership over these areas in our lives and the world around us. Every single one of you has the potential to lead in that change. Everyone was made on an equal footing with God. Everyone was made with, in the image of God with the same potential to see greatness in his kingdom. Don't think just because some people spend more time at church than the other, don't think just because someone's paid by church or not, don't think just because someone's done X, Y, and Z that they are more holy or more adequate for leadership. All of you are adequate Equipped, called to lead. And then finally, we have God shaped, uh, sorry, gospel shaped action. There's an action with all of this. Not only is there an identity that is the same for all of us, that is God given, not only is there gospel shaped grace where God blesses before he gets anything back from us or benefits. Not only is it gospel-shaped hope, but there's a message and a job we now have to do with the rest of the world, not just in our own hearts, but the lives of those around us. We also now need to take action. There is a call to do something with this. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. There is an action today that you can say that you accept the call to be a minister of reconciliation. That you can be the agent of change, not just in your own life, but in the lives of those around you and in the world that God is reconciling and bringing back to himself. There is a yes that we get to say to God that, God, I look to you to be my saviour. I look to you to be my safety. I look to you to be my comfort against all the threats that are in my world. I am no longer going to allow myself, my emotional state, my mental health, my... Um, joy, my contentedness be distracted by anything else that's going around I will look to you today God to be my light and my salvation the Lord is my light and my salvation who shall I fear, who shall I fear? As we come here today on November the 11th, which is Remembrance Day, the day of peace being made, I gave you the other day, which was June the 6th, 1944. And of course, many of you guys know the Second World War didn't finish in 1944. It finished in 1945. June June the 6th, 1944, was D-Day. It was the beginning of the end. It was the day when the Allied troops decided to fight back with everything they had. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you get to say, I am no longer just going to give it a, can I say, half-assed attempt? No longer am I going to give it just what's left at the end of a day. No longer am I going to give God my dregs. No longer am I going to give to God what I feel like. I realize if I'm going to see this reconciliation, this revival happen in my life and in this town and in my family, that I need to give it everything that I have. We urge you, be reconciled to God. Don't think you're not favorable to God. You are in Christ. You are favorable to God. God has heard you. In the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. Today, God wants to help you. Are you willing to give it all over to him to see the beginning of the end of the threat of peace and discomfort in your life? On the way in this morning, um, Norma was giving me an update as to what's going on with her family. And she said, don't know what it is, Jason, but every week there seems to be something else in this church. it seems to be someone else who's ill, some other family issue that's been going down, some other... Discontentment, some other big problem that we all need to pray for. And I was like, I don't want this to get negative. And then Norma said the best thing: we must be doing something right. We must be doing something right. There's a song, it's on Christian marching off the and that's a lovely song. Yeah. yeah. Probably not, I don't know, sorry. So, today, as we've just come to wrap up, I don't want you to measure salvation by when it is finished. Let's measure your most important day as the day that we start to fight back. Let's measure the most important day as the day we say, Yes, God, you can have it all. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you right now are um, drawing in the depths of our hearts and our souls and our beings the things that you want to highlight to us, the issues in our lives that need addressing, the problems in our lives that need overcoming. But God, I thank you that despite everything in our life that might be a distraction We thank you, God, that you always draw us back to you. That your spirit draws our eyes upward to where our help comes from. Because you are the rock that is higher, higher than I am. We thank you, God, that you hear us. And we thank you, God, that your favor is over us. Not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done, God. That all we need to do is believe in you, believe in Jesus who you have sent. Not just a little bit, not just that he existed. But what he has done is enough and is adequate and is sufficient for us to come into a loving relationship with you, God. I thank you that you bless before you benefit, that you give great gifts to those who ask. So right now, God, we just ask, come into our lives, bring your power into our hearts. Let our eyes be changed by what you see. Let our hands be put to work into this work of the ministry of reconciliation, the work of, of um, seeing this world, again, made favourable to you. Help us to build each other up, encourage each other, help us to challenge each other, that we might see each person in this church as overcomers, as more than conquerors, not because it's just nice, but because that is what you have called us to be, that we are seeing the change and the transformation of your kingdom day by day in this place. Help us to take each day as the day we fight back, the day that we give it all, the day we take up our cross and sacrifice our desires, sacrifice our worldly view, sacrifice our our identity to give it back to you, Jesus. Let us not fight for anything less than what you have already paid for, Jesus. We want to pray for healings. We want to pray for life transformation. We want to pray for hope. We want to pray against despair, disparity and depression. We want to pray against anxiety. We want to pray uh, um, against addictions. We want to pray against um, poor attitudes. We want to pray against division and divisiveness. And God, we want us to see this church, this family, changed for you and by you, God. Let us become that light those ambassadors because of the change you've made in our lives let that become the message that we are able to show and demonstrate to other people around us god help us to have the knowledge that you have sent us into the world to see it come back to you so that it comes to glorify your name jesus because you are greater than it all in your precious name jesus amen